This week we have been introduced, I believe, by two dynamics. You have the dynamic of an individual who spent the majority of his life in proclaiming the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm sure some of you even tuned in to watch, if you will, some of the funeral service of Dr. Billy Graham and his faithfulness that was recounted time and time again to the purpose of the gospel. And then it wasn't but a few days later that the world was shocked by the passing of Stephen Hawkins. You've got on one end of the spectrum, you have someone who proclaimed the proof of Jesus Christ. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have an individual who spent the majority of his life trying to come up with mathematical and scientific equations to prove that there is no God. And yet, in the disease that he was carrying for 50 years, most likely should have taken his life two years after he contracted it, yet for 50 years it was God's grace that allowed him to see the goodness of God. And yet he chose not to. Unless, by the grace of God, moments before he passed, maybe even a couple days before he passed, he recognized his mistake and proclaimed Christ as a Savior. That we will leave up to eternity. But isn't it interesting that we were engaged by both sides of the spectrum? And yet, in one moment, our hearts rejoice and in the next moment, our hearts are saddened. Our hearts are saddened because an individual may very well have passed this life without recognizing Jesus Christ and found himself in the punishment of a God that he tried to disprove. What even disturbs me more is that to hear believers say, good, he got what he deserved. Lest you forget something, by the grace of God, you would be in the same position. This morning, I want to share with you Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Advertising agencies make their living in trying to convince you that you need their product. And they're so good at it that they must accomplish that in a matter of 15 seconds. They're good at what they promote. You need this. Your life cannot be any better without this. You want to look good, you want to smell good, 
You want to be good, then you've got to have all of this. The problem, though, that I see is that some of that advertising has gotten into churches. We try to come up with schemes. We try to come up with programs that make the gospel look good. Yes, we do understand that it is by the gospel by which we are saved that we have eternal life. And, and by the way, you, you, you should not live without that. But yet we get in these gimmicks, and, and we think that the latest frills, the, the latest things that we can do to get the world excited and get them involved in church I'm reminded of a, a church in Texas. This is a number of years ago. They thought in order to capture the thought of the neighborhood around them, that they would have a mud wrestling session between the elders and the deacons. In the church. In the church. First thought that comes upon my mind, who won? <laughs> and second thought is, why? Why do we need the gimmicks? Now, believe me, I'm all for promoting the Word of God in very creative ways in order that those who are lost can find it and grab hold of it and literally take it into their very bosom. Over years, we've had things written like tracks that you can leave for your waitress or include in your sending out of your bills. Those are wonderful, creative ways of sharing the gospel. The Iwana program that we have here at Grace Community Church. Its purpose is relative to its theme verse in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 16, where it says that study to show yourself approved unto God. And, and during that time in Rwanda, we have fun. We do creative things in order that the children would come to know and understand the principles of the Word of God. I'm, I'm all for that. I really am. But when we have to cheapen the gospel in order to make it palatable for the world, I'm totally against that. I'm totally against that. If you're looking for a pattern, if you're looking for a solution in how to change the world around you, then Ezra chapter 7, verse 1 to 10 gives you that which you need to do. It highlights for you, if you will, three principles that we as even now in this present generation with the present world that is around us, if we do those things, we will come to know and understand as verse 10 closes that God blessed the ministry 
of Ezra. And those three things I want to share with you in a very personal and hopefully a very engaging thing this morning. But before we do, let's, let's pray together, shall we? Father, your word is true. Your principles are eternal. You've given us the mission that we should be engaged of ourselves, that as we are going, we are needing to make disciples. Instructing them in your word, identifying them with your name, and yet you promise that you are with us throughout all the age. There can be no greater mission than that. That no matter where we go and what we're doing, we have opportunity to share. We have the opportunity to give an answer of those who ask about the hope that is in us. That's, there's nothing greater that we can do than to talk to them about Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh God, that you would make plain your word this morning to our hearts. Without any gimmicks, without any whistles, without any trumpets blaring, oh God, show to us this morning the reality of your word as you minister through the life of this prophet of yours named Ezra. We're grateful for the study and what we have seen so far. We understand that, God, that you are great. And you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And even in the moments of confusion, yet you were there. And I thank you, Lord, that your plan and your promises are eternal. They will come into being. We're on the threshold, Lord, of celebrating the greatest event of all human history. And that is you, Father, sending your Son that he would die upon a cross and be buried and rose again. The dynamic of that is what Paul writes for us, and as he says that the gospel by which we are saved is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and was seen of many. That is our mantra, that's our mission, to proclaim that wherever we go. So Lord, use your word this morning to encourage us in areas that we're discouraged. Give to us understanding, even in areas of confusion. Teach us those things we need to know. 
and supply for us those things we lack. That we would come to understand and rejoice in the goodness of our God. We'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Ezra chapter 7, the first 10 verses. Please follow along as we read these verses together. As we begin reading, you're probably going to say to yourself, boy, I'm sure glad I didn't have to read this passage in front of the people. You got a lot of AIs here, and uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll stumble through. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sarai, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalhum, the son of Zadok, the son of Hatitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Seraiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, and all God's people would say, Amen. Yeah. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel and the priests and Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. You almost have scene two of, of the same play. In, in chapter one, we see that God moved in the heart of Cyrus the king. He allowed Zerubbabel, he allowed Jeshua, he allowed groups of individuals. Chapter two gives us the list of groups to leave Babylon, to go back to Jerusalem, to build the temple, and to build, if you will, the altar to God. He even gave him those things that were needed to have that accomplished. In the midst of it, there was turmoil. Individuals in the land were not happy that they were there. And yet God, in his providence, and his wonderful plans, allowed that which was to be done to be finished. Ezra is chapter, the second scene of this. Another king 
still moved by the hand of God to allow a group of individuals to leave Babylon again, to go to Jerusalem. And when they get there, we'll find out in our study that there's problems that are there. But what we don't see in the first group is what chapter 7 helps us to understand. And the issue is this, how can we, what can we engage ourselves in in order that we might change the world that is around us? How can we dynamically, not only individually, but as a church, how can we engage ourselves in our neighborhood in order that God would be exalted? The plan is going to sound really simple. No, there's no gimmicks. There's not an angelic choir singing in the back. There's not the colorfulness that we are used to seeing from advertising agencies, but I'm here to tell you that God doesn't need all of that. For what he displays in his word is simple and plain for us to understand. What we notice in the first reading of the first five verses is that Ezra comes from some pretty dynamic genealogy. It's traced all the way back to Aaron, the high priest, the one who was commissioned by God through Moses to be the one to represent the people in the temple worship to God. Aaron was the chief priest. He was the one that God had determined to set aside in order that the people would be properly instructed, properly represented, and properly taught the things of God. From the close of chapter 6 to the opening of chapter 7, we'll understand that this is a period of time. Notice it begins by saying, after these things. What things? Well, you got to go all the way back to chapter 5 and 6. Those things. After the building of the temple, Ezra shows up. In fact, depending on what side of the equation of theology, there is even a period of either 40 to 60 years of time that have passed from the end of chapter 6 to when Ezra is introduced. It's a long period of time. He didn't show up the next day. And in fact, we'll find out that during that period of time is when the troubles began that God used Ezra to come in to correct. A journey that took Ezra and his followers four months to make. 
as they came to Jerusalem. The lineage of Ezra is dynamic in such a way that the people of Jerusalem would have recognized that this is God's man. This is God's plan for us. Now, don't beat yourself up. You may have come from a lineage of God-honoring and God-fearing forefathers. You should really thank God for his mercy to them and to you. Or, or you could be like the majority of us. We weren't so fortunate. And that you should thank God for his mercy to you. God has you in his place for a purpose. Let me give it to you this way. No, probably if without these credentials, Ezra may not have had the influence in the ministry that he was about to do. But then again, everybody can't come from the line of Aaron. And in fact, if you stop and thought about it, Aaron, all the other names, and Ezra are no different than you. For it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No, you may not have a dynamic testimony as Pastor Isaac was sharing with me as the teens were up at Camp Orchard Hill and they were presented with the, with the truth that too often we view ourselves as not being very significant. We don't like the way we look. We don't like the way we do things. We can't be as good as somebody else. But God has a purpose. Yes, Ezra was where God wanted him to be. And you are where God wants you to be. For the purpose of being able to share the good things that are in Jesus Christ. Don't ever count yourself short. If you need something to fall back on, fall back on this. No matter who you are, when you come by grace through faith into the family of God, you are a child of the King of Kings. God knows your name. You belong to his family. No matter how you look, we're not going to be judged by our looks. We're going to be judged by our hearts. So don't get discouraged. If you don't like what you see in the mirror, don't look in the mirror. It's okay. God's got you covered. You're covered in the blood of Christ. And to him, you are a precious, precious item. Yes, Ezra had the lineage. Yes, he did. 
It was for the purpose that they would, the people of Jerusalem who were there, after a 40 to 60 year calmness, an individual comes in with the credentials that they would say, we ought to pay attention to what's going on here. His lineage. You have a lineage too. It's in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And God loves you. And he cares for you. He provides for you. He watches over you. He moves in and of your life in order that you are his honored guest here on this earth. You are honored by him to be where you are. Don't be discouraged. The second thing we recognize in this particular situation of Ezra's life is the fact that, yes, Ezra does come back to Jerusalem. I've thought about that because there's a thought, or at least I, I believe you can back it up biblically, that Ezra may very well have been born in Babylon. He was not part of the first gathering of people as Daniel and his three friends were back in the book of Daniel at the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. There's a pretty good chance that Ezra didn't even know Nebuchadnezzar, was not even aware of Darius. All he knows is Artaxerxes. He's the king of Persia. And the Persia Empire took over the Babylonian Empire. And so there's a pretty good argument, I believe, that Ezra was born in Babylon. Now that's pretty dynamic because you'll notice how Ezra's life was managed. Refresh our memories. Go back to verse 6. This Ezra came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Where did he get that? Babylon did everything it could. Nebuchadnezzar did everything he could to desocialize the individuals that he brought into Babylon, that's why he changed the names of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He changed their names. He wanted to change their customs. He wanted to change them so that they would become integrated into the society of Babylon. In those four men's lives, it was not successful. Read the book of Daniel. 
But Ezra comes along later. And I still ask myself the question, where did he get the law of Moses? If it was bent upon a king to dismantle a society, that meant everything that meant something to that society is taken away. You are conformed to their way of thinking. Where did he get the law of Moses that he became skilled in its understanding? All I could think of is a couple of things. Mom and dad must have been pretty good. His parents may very well have not been conformed to what Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or even Cyrus wanted. Now, that's nothing new because remember Moses' parents? In the book of Exodus, they too would not bow to the desires of Pharaoh. They kept their child. And God directed in such a way that even as Moses was being raised, they went and got his mother and brought him in. Don't you think that mom, at the moments of feeding, was probably saying something like this, the Lord is my shepherd. God is good. Moses, don't listen to Pharaoh. You're special. The other thing that crossed my mind, too, is the effects that Daniel had on that particular society that maybe, just maybe, there were scriptures available somehow, some way, that, that were not destroyed because of the testimony of Daniel. And they were available. But we are told that Ezra was skilled. You know what that, that word skilled in the Hebrew literally means quick. You got a question, he's got an answer. Based upon the law of of Moses. You see, when, when we try to incorporate our own philosophy into the problems of the world, we end up messing it up even more. But you take the Word of God and you begin to integrate that into your decisions. I guarantee you, God will bless. How do I know that? Time is too short. But it does say so in Ezra chapter 7. Ezra is in town. Notice what he wants to do. Verse 10. Ezra had first prepared his heart 
to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and then to teach it and all the ordinances and commands to Israel. I, I promised you a, a quick theme, a quick formula. Too often we're looking for three points, a poem, and a prayer. This let me give you three points this morning that I guarantee that if you engage them in your life, if they become that important in your life, God will allow you to be his vessel to change the world that is around you. And they're listed in verse 10. No, there's no big grandiosa. There's no trumpets playing, but it's still here. The first thing notice is this. Ezra sought the law of God. He wanted to know it. He wanted to engage himself in such a dynamic way that the law of Moses was part of his life, if not all of his life. We are commanded by Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 16, to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of God. Study the Word of God. Be skilled in it. Be quick. Peter reminds us that we are to be able to give an answer of the hope within us to anyone who would ask. We're to be ready to give the Word of God. And it is so dynamic that Paul, he doesn't leave the thought of 2 Timothy 2. He carries it over to 2 Timothy 3. When he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, verse 17, that the man of God, the person of God, would be fully equipped for all of life. There are times in ministry when you can become distraught of believer people's thought patterns. Because they've not taken the time to study the Word of God. Why are we worried about tomorrow when God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever?
Did God let you down yesterday? How about a week ago? God let you down? Has God removed himself from your presence? No. Then why would you worry about tomorrow? There's no need to. God has it in control. But you got to be in the Word in order to do the second thing, which is do the Word. Know the Word, then do the Word. Ladies, you can attest to this. My, my wife is a witness in my life. I used to work at Remington Arms Company, and periodically we would get safety prizes if no one got hurt on the job. One year I thought, you know what, I love the barbecue. So I, I brought home a safety prize that was one of those grills. It wasn't gas, it was charcoal. Probably cost Remington Arms $3.59, but I thought it was nice. I opened the box, dump everything out, look for the instructions. Open the instructions, look at it, and I don't need those, I'll do it myself. Am I with you? Ladies, you with me on this? You seen your husband do that? <coughs> Hallelujah, you're all looking at him. I get it all together. And there's parts laying on the floor. On the floor. My wife said, what are you going to do with those? I don't know. I found out what I needed to do, because when I went to move it, it collapsed. It's one thing to have the instruction. But it's quite another thing to do the instruction. Pay attention to it in order to perform it. James is chapter 1. It's clear when he says, James says, don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. In other words, that which you know should be engaged in your life. We should be actively Allowing the Word of God not just to sit on the pages, but to rest in the depths of our soul. That all of a sudden our lives reflect the very blessing of God. Study the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Do the Word of God. And lastly, speak it. Share it. Teach it. That's what Ezra did. He was afraid that over the years, the infiltration of Babylon and the period of time before he showed up, the people were getting lax. They didn't have the teaching of the Word of God. And so he was bent on 
teaching it, the ordinances and the instructions of God's Word. But let me let you in on a little secret. You can't teach that which you don't know. And you can't teach that which you don't do. You can't go from knowing to teaching. You can't bypass doing. Because if you try to bypass doing, then you're nothing more than what the world thinks we are as being hypocrites. A hidden face of truth. You can't bypass it. If you want to change the world around you, let me back it up. If you want to be changed by the very presence and power of God, you must study, do, and speak. But notice what it says as we back up. We go back to page or verse 6. According to the hand of the Lord his God upon him, he was blessed. He knew what it took to change his world. Now you know what it will take to change your world, your circumstances, your sight of life, if you'll only study, do, and speak. That is God's way. And if God blesses it, then we ought to be about it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the example that is in your word through the life of Ezra. We thank you, Lord, that it's your desire that we would study your word, do your word, and then share your word. God, may that become a compassionate in our lives. May it become a fuel that will ignite us every day to spend time in your presence in instruction, to do your word by application, and then to share your word by proclamation. May that be our desire to honor you and we'll praise you in your name. Amen.